And if you have Psalm 68 there, I would like, as I like to do so often, to call out uh, one verse that we're going to really call our text verse. Reread that verse, then we'll have a word of prayer together. Now, just uh, so, some of you may think that this is a technicality. I'll mention it if you don't like it, and you say, well, my way's better. That's fine. I won't be offended. But uh, usually, um, when you read the Psalms and you come across Selah, it isn't really necessary to read that word. And the simple reason that it isn't is because almost certainly it's meant as a musical direction. So, for example, if you read any music or look at music, you find different words. They're like fortissimo and different things like this. And, and we don't. The, the musicians who play the music, they see that or they see a dot over the quarter note and they say it's a dotted quarter note. That tells them what to do. But, uh, you know, it's, so it's a musical direction, actually. kind of reminds us of the fact, and it's, it's the idea behind it is a rest or a pause. And that's, that can be instructive because um, then maybe we ask ourselves, all right, what's the rest or the pause there for? Is it there only for the music or is it there uh, sort of to help us maybe stop for a moment and meditate on what has been said to this point? Um, lots of those things come to mind when you think about that. So we won't, I'm not going to read it when we get to verse 20 here uh, or verse number 18. Let's look at that verse 19, sorry. Uh, and it says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. And we have the word loaded in that verse, and I would say that that text is loaded. And so we're going to use that this morning in the message. And let's have a word of prayer. We'll ask God to bless. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we are thank you, thankful for all that you've done for us. And fathers, we come into this time of thanksgiving. We find it appropriate, Lord, to, to concentrate and be reminded. We thank you for these special occasions, Lord, because we know that we should be thankful on an ongoing, daily, regular basis. We think of that word, that word that comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So we know we have things to be thankful for every day. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, sometimes these seasons uh, come to remind us, particularly uh, this one positioned where it is, of the harvest, of the bounty, uh, of all the different things and good things that you've provided for us. And uh, even in the weather, Lord, we thank you that the, the weather was not any impediment, particularly to us, to get to church this morning. So thank you so much. That means a lot to us that we might uh, be able to come to the house of the Lord and and to do so without uh, fear of weather conditions or slipperiness on the road or danger on the road. And uh, thank you for each one who's here now this morning. And I pray that you would just be with me, Lord, as I bring the message that you've given to me for today. I pray, Lord, that it would be a blessing and, a, and, a, and an encouragement to people and a tone setter for this week. For we pray these things now in Jesus' holy and wonderful name. Amen. Well, with a text out of Psalm 68, you can certainly tell that we're not with our regular series. They asked him this. I mentioned to you some time ago, I wasn't sure if we would finish that by the end of the year, simply because now we kind of come into a time, right, where we have special holiday season, and it's always appropriate, I think, to stop what you're doing uh, for the normal progression and think about these special occasions. So I would like to bring a message this morning to you um, in, in favor of the Thanksgiving season, which is what we're entering into this particular week. I've chosen this text from Psalm 68. Here's just a couple of interesting things about Psalm 68. If you look at the beginning of the psalm, the superscription tells us that this has by tradition been a psalm that has been ascribed to David. So that gives us some idea of time frames and a little bit of the background of the writer as we try to figure out the ground he's going over and what he's talking about. 
Um, no other information is given there. Sometimes in the Psalms of David, you may get a little bit more information where uh, tradition feels that this particular psalm was written uh, in commemoration of a certain event or on a certain occasion. We don't have any information like, like that here. So there are a couple of ideas about this. As you read down through the, the psalm, you get the distinct impression that the note of praises uh, kind of come out of the fact of rec- recounting the history of God's people and the great victories that he's given. So some people think that this began all the way with the Red Sea when the children of Israel uh, left Egypt. Sinai is mentioned in the psalm, okay, and different things that seem to have reference to God's watch care and blessing during the wilderness period uh, seem to have some reference in the psalm. But then peculiarly um, to David, and so other people feel that maybe that David is commemorating, he's thinking about all those things as a backdrop, all the victories that God gives his people as a backdrop, but he's especially motivated by this occasion in his own life. He mentions Zion, he mentions the hill of Zion, and of course we know, um, and even in our study of the book of Joshua and, and other messages that we've had, we sort of know how that, how that worked out, right? That during the time of Joshua, that territory, Jerusalem, was taken, but yet there was a stronghold, uh, the castle of Zion as a part of Jerusalem that those Jebusites held on to, and they were not dislodged from that place. And it's only when we get to the story of the life of David, if you recall, that uh, David, remember, wanted uh, the water and, and, and talked about wanting someone who would give him a drink of water from Jerusalem. And the story is given to us about how David was ultimately successful in conquering and expelling those people uh, from the stronghold of Zion. And of course, Zion then became the holy hill. Zion was the place that God had, uh, Jerusalem was the place that God had uniquely chosen and set aside that his people might have their focus of worship there, that the temple would be built there. And so these are all great ideas as we think about what is uh, the background of this particular psalm. Um, it's very interesting to me as I read this that I think your verse number 19, the one that we're using for the text today, does a great job of really capturing. I mean, if you had to pick one verse from the psalm that sort of lets you encapsulate or capture all of the different thoughts that are going on in the psalm, maybe not all the specific references, but all the general thoughts that are going on in the psalm, I think this verse does a great job of doing that. Look at the verse again. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. And uh, as we look at this, I think there are two things that uh, come to our attention, two things that we're going to be looking at as main thoughts in the message today. Of course, the theme is blessings, but we find the psalmist, first of all, rehearsing God's blessings. He talks about a lot of things when he talks about God's blessings in this verse. He, he's, he's talked about, he's made allusion to any number of things in the psalm. So we could say rehearsing God's blessings or recounting God's blessings or remembering God's blessings. Any of those words work very well. And, but then in, this, in the verse, we also have attention directed from a different perspective because when you're rehearsing God's blessings, you're kind of coming at it from God's perspective. But when you're acknowledging God's blessings, then you're kind of coming at it from what is our response. So the key thoughts that we're going to look at in the psalm today are, first of all, spend some time rehearsing God's blessings. We're going to look at what David says in this respect and develop it out of the text. And then we'll get to the place where we look at the response. And I'll try to show you that 
uh, also from the text and in the greater body of the psalm itself. So first of all, here's the idea of rehearsing God's blessings. You know, really, this is the first and prevailing emphasis. On Wednesday night, I was talking about the fact that, well, you know, a coin has two sides, but most of us probably tend to regard uh, the head's side of the coin as the dominant side. Same thing with a, a, a piece of folding money. You pick up a dollar bill, a $5 bill, and uh, most people don't so much look at the back. They look at the front. People can tell you, well, Washington's on the dollar bill, and Lincoln is on the, on the, uh, ten, uh, on the $5 bill, and who knows who's going to be on the $20 bill till they get done with all this stuff. But you know how. That's, that's another subject. Don't get me started. But in any case, that's kind of how we look at it. And when we look at this subject of God's blessings, between the rehearsing and the responding, it's almost as if it starts off with rehearsing God's blessings, the dominant note being from God's perspective. And that's completely appropriate because God, of course, is the source of all of our blessings, and it's what the text says. Look here. You'll see here, blessed be the Lord. Who is the one who daily loads us with benefits? Well, aren't you glad as a Christian that you can see God's hand in that? Aren't you glad that you're not reliant upon the federal government? And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that there's not things that the government can help people with. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that you're wrong to have Social Security or Medicare. I'm not saying that at all. I'm simply saying that we have kind of come to a day where in our society we're looking to all sorts of other places Uh, for the source of our needs to be met, and almost kind of demanding those things and acting like we are owed those things, such as college tuition. Well, you know something? When I went to college, and and my story is a little bit different from uh, my wife's story in this respect because she worked, you know, during her college years, but my parents paid for my college tuition, and I I was always grateful for that. I was always very, very grateful. Uh, Could they have demanded that I work? Sure. They did that, though, for me, and I always knew my parents did that. I always knew that my parents, both of them, had a heart for their children and to see that their children had the best that they could possibly be able to provide for them. And I'm always thankful for that. And I'm always thankful for the fact that I understand that every good gift, this is what James, how James puts it, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So the first emphasis that we see here is on God because God is the one who provides all these blessings. And as we get into the idea of rehearsing or remembering or recounting those blessings, the psalmist begins by celebrating God's generosity. Let me try to show you this thought. He says, blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth. And let me call your attention to the word loadeth. That's kind of an interesting word, isn't it? So um, have you ever noticed sometimes you go to a restaurant and you, and you want a baked potato? And one of the first things they ask you is, loaded? <laughs> well, I understand. I mean, I'm trying to think well, this is potato, better not be a gun, but I know what they mean. They mean, do you want butter? Do you want sour cream? Do you want, who knows what else they throw in there and and drive the calorie quotient up about 15 times. Uh, I'm not picking on you if you like them that way. Uh, I think they think I'm an oddball because they come with all these things and they ask me that and I say, no, just butter is fine. And I wish they'd give me the real butter, but you know how that is. So we kind of understand that, the idea of loaded. Now, the interesting thing about this word in the psalm is 
it, 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 it has really the capability of equally meaning two things. It might mean that in the sense that, well, if you picture for a moment uh, a beast of burden, and uh, so maybe you have some things that you want to, maybe you're going on a, an, elk, an elk hunt in, uh, in Colorado, and so you've got a pack mule or maybe even a, a pack horse, and so you've got all these supplies that you need to take on this hunt, and so you, the animal becomes kind of loaded to capacity, as it were, with, with all of these different accoutrements that need to uh, get you up into the high grounds where you're going to camp, and some people even set up a base station and all that kind of thing. So that's one way to take it, but since it has that meaning, it also can have the sense of to bear and so then you would have the sense that God is the one who bears our burdens. And that also is equally possible and equally true. Um, this would be the sense, actually, that you have spoken in other places in the Bible, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Psalm fifty-five twenty-two: cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. That's the sense. But if you look down at our version, our version takes it in the first sense. And I, I really think I sort of prefer that. Either thought is equally true and either thought is equally possible with the grammar. But you will notice that the translators decidedly took it in the way that they did because you'll notice that the words with benefits are in italics. So to make it clear that that was the direction that they were taking it, um, they added those words with benefits and certainly... They're accurate with, with that sense because all around we're, we're being confronted with, we're being told about. They are being recounted for us, rehearsed for us, all of God's blessings and his benefits. And so my point, though, is this to me is a word of generosity. God doesn't hand out his blessings to us in a skimpy fashion. God daily loads us with benefits. And if one picture is worth a thousand words, you don't have to turn if you don't want to. But I think you recall the story of Joseph's brothers, how twice they made trips down into Egypt because what was going on in the land of Canaan? Well, famine was going on in the land of Canaan, right? So they ran out of grain and they went down the first time. And we're not going to get all into the story of, of Joseph's life. But then you remember that they went back the second time, and then they were a little hesitant about going back the second time because, as they told their father, the man who's head over the land told us straightly, don't come back unless you're going to bring that brother you spoke of, Benjamin. Jacob didn't want to turn loose of that. So finally they persuaded him. Finally they went back, and you know, then they met, and they, uh, Joseph had the steward invite them straight into his house, and they sat down and ate a meal, and then he sent them on their way the next morning. But... Do you remember what he did? He had his steward put his silver cup in the sack of Benjamin's, in the, in the mouth of the sack of Benjamin's grain. So these guys no sooner got out of the city than the steward, on purpose, hightails after them and accuses them of stealing this cup. And they protest and say, why doesn't make any sense? Why would we come over here and, and steal your master's cup? And and they make the statement, well, who, whomever you find it with, let him be your servant. And of course, they take all their sacks down. They take unload all their beasts of burden. And here's the verse that I'm after with getting those details in your mind. They rent their clothes when it, when it when this is Genesis 44, 13. When that silver cup was found to be in the mouth of Benjamin's sack, they rent their clothes and laded every man his donkey and returned to the city. 
Now, just think about this for a moment, because here's the whole idea. I mean, if you're going to have to make a trip from Canaan clean down to Egypt, and then you're going to return, and the whole reason you're doing this is because you want grain, there's a famine still in the land, you're going to want to bring back as much as you possibly can, right? So you can just kind of get a mental image of some poor donkey that they've got quite a load strapped to this donkey, whatever they think the donkey can bear. I mean, they, they were savvy in those ways, and they, they, they wouldn't have loaded the thing so heavily that it killed the animal because that would have messed up the whole deal. But certainly they had capacity loads on board. And this is what God does. God loads us with benefits. It's, it's, it's the idea of his generosity that's brought out here. And bearing in mind now, again, as I said at the outset, that the backdrop of this whole thing, David seems to be really motivated to, to talk about God's blessings by thinking about the theme of all of the victories and all of the different things that God has done for his people in so many varied circumstances at Sinai, in the wilderness, uh, in the land of Bashan, and that's mentioned in the psalm. Let's, let's just see if we can zero in on some things that specifics that he gives and uh, I'd like to mention these. First of all, I see here a mention or a reference to God's compassion. I look at verse number 5 and verse number 6. Look at those verses with me. It says, He is a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows, is God in his holy habitations. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Well, when you think about God's people, when you think about that whole crowd that came out of Egypt, when you think about God being the God of all of his people, you know there are folks like that, just as we know folks like that. They're the folks that have it sort of in a difficult way. There are the folks who are, um, sometimes we say, underprivileged, or the life has sort of dealt them a bad turn. And in the ancient world, uh, a, a widow was largely looked upon as, as, as helpless. I mean, she, unless she had sons, she really didn't have any way to care for herself or, or to meet her needs if her husband was gone. And then you have the fatherless, and of course, we have a lot of those even in our society today. And who cares about those people, right? I mean, it's a shame to me that I, I think that because most of our churches uh, of this type have a, a rather conservative bent to them, and because we don't like what we see so much of being done in society, I think sometimes we, we fail to realize that, you know, God genuinely is moved by the plight of his people. God cares when people have misfortune. God cares when people have difficult circumstances. The fatherless have it rough. The widow has it in a difficult way. And then you read in the next verse, in the solitary Think about that. If you ever think about what it is to be alone, and there are folks here who can tell you about that today. Sometimes you're alone because you're really alone. You don't have anybody to live with. You don't have anybody to be with. Sometimes it's because the loss of a, loss of a spouse or something of that nature. And other times you can be alone in a big crowd. It's strange how that works, but it's, it's often a, a, a heart, uh, a, 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 a difficulty, a burden of heart that we have to deal with. And it says that God takes into account, God cares for those kind of people. And folks, I have to tell you this morning, I'm not a bleeding heart. But I have to tell you, if, if we don't have a heart like God has, and if we are the recipient of God's compassion, the fact that he is a caring God, 
then I tell you, it's one of the most eloquent ways to show it to unbelievers around us because they do understand that. And you know what? I'll tell you something else. They don't really have a, a time for a lot of your preaching if they don't see some practical outworking of it. I was uh, thinking a little bit about a song and its story. I don't know if you've ever heard the story behind No One Ever Cared for Me Like Jesus. Do you know who wrote that song? It was a man by the name of Charlie Weigel. He, was, uh, he grew up in a Methodist home and uh, was actually saved while he was attending a revival meeting in his hometown of Lafayette, Indiana. He was saved. And uh, the Lord seemed to lead him into evangelism, and he also was a preacher, uh, and also he was a man who wrote songs and composed hymns, and God had blessed and gifted him along those lines. Well, you know, sometimes when you're an evangelist, that often involves a life of travel. I'm, t- I'm here to tell you that's not, that's not easy. Living your life that way is not easy, going from church to church, week to week, we had a visit here just this past week from some folks that uh, called us on the phone. They said, hey, we're going to be in town. And uh, we had worked with them before on staff at the church in Huntington, and they're missionaries now. And uh, we had a visit with them. They said, well, this upcoming Sunday, we're going to be this church in the morning and this church in the evening, and on Wednesday, we have another church. And that is sort of the description of how their furlough is going. You ever thought about how difficult that is, always in a new place, traveling around. And evangelists do that. And of course, sometimes that can cause a little tension. And unfortunately, it did in Charlie Weigel's family. And his wife became sort of discontent with that type of lifestyle. And one, one uh, time he was in a meeting and he got word from home that there was trouble there. And and he just, oh, it just so deeply gripped and affected his heart. There was a fellow preacher there by the name of H.C. Morrison, and Morrison went up and put his arm around him and, and uh, told him, Charlie, you, you may not think you can bear this, but you will. For the time, for, for time is a great healer, and Jesus will bring you through, he told him. And those words were a real comfort. But you know something? It was only a few months later when uh, Mrs. Weigel let him know that she was going to leave. And she said, I, I, this is what, she said, I, I don't want to live the life you're living. I want to go the other way. She said, I want to go to the bright lights. Now, you can imagine the heartache that he must have experienced on that occasion. And those types of things can be absolutely devastating. He, he had to take them down to the train, his wife and his daughter, and put them on a train to California and essentially say goodbye to them. And so, as I say, this was devastating to him. It took him about five years, really, get, to get back to the place where he began to write songs again. As I say, sometimes I don't think we realize how devastating sometimes these experiences can be in people's lives. It took him five years. And he said one night he sat down at the piano and was just thinking, and he was thinking back through all those dark days and that difficult struggle that he'd been in, when all of a sudden he said it seemed as if the phrase came to him, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. And that thing just gripped him. It gripped him in such a way that really in just a few short moments he had written the three stanzas and the refrain for the song. Well, he turned it over to the publisher. It turned out that not too long afterwards, he was in an evangelistic meeting, and on the last night of the meeting, the song leader came up to him and said, I'd like you to sing a special. Well, the special was unscheduled. And it it so happened that he had turned the song over to the publisher, and uh, EOXL had written the music for it, and he had actually gotten back 
the prints for the song. He had a couple of copies in his coat pocket, and he pulled two of them out. One he kept for himself, one he gave to the organist. And he said, this is the song then that I'll sing tonight. Well, he got up to sing that song until he was done singing that song. There were many, many tears that were coming down people's faces in that audience. Three singers immediately came up to Charlie Weigel after it was over and wanted copies of the song. And from there, it just sort of took off all over the country. People started to hear and be blessed by this song. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something for me no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. And God is a God of compassion, and I'm here to tell you I'm glad that God is a God of compassion. The next thing that I see, and these things almost sort of go together, really. You get down to uh, verse number 10, and we have a note here about God's provision. And what does it say here? It singles out another type of a needy person. Thy congregation hath dwelt therein, therein. O God, thou hast prepared of thy goodness for the poor. Well, what about the poor? I mean, these are, these are additional people that God cares about. And so often we can have ministry with those people if we're willing to reach out to them. And, and I know there's problems. I know you can get had. You know, I know you have to be careful in, in these endeavors, but it doesn't mean that we have to give them up completely. And God is a God who blesses us in proportion to the, the way we share his heart for the poor. But, you know, there's a sense in which this is God's provision, and we can broaden this out. We can say, well, uh, we may not necessarily fit into the category of poverty, but, boy, God provides for us. He provides for us faithfully all the time. And I think about uh, what Paul was saying in Philippians chapter 4 when he got that love gift from the, from the Philippians. You know, he wrote Philippians. He was in uh, his first Roman captivity. Philippians is a, is a prison epistle. And what did he write? He said, I... I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. And then he turned it around to apply it right back to them and said, but my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And we might not be able to claim that we're rich, but can we not rejoice in the fact that God has provided for our needs faithfully all the time? Then I see a third thing, and I wanted to call your attention to this, God's watch care. There's a big long section on this really down in verses uh, 11 through 18. We won't take time to reread all of those verses, but I want to call your attention to kind of the, the... the, the key word, and it's in our text. Look in verse 19, right towards the end. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us, us with benefits, even the God of our, what's the last word? Salvation. Salvation. Well, see, that's another thing. So often when we look at that, we tend to use that in the, the more technical sense or think of it in the more technical sense of uh, our salvation, that is to say being saved from our sins by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And boy, it definitely encompasses that. But the word is broad. The word means rescue. The word means deliverance. And 
you can go really and think about how many times has God delivered us from all sorts of difficulties and problems and dangers. If you think about what he talked about, about when they went through the wilderness, that waste-howling wilderness, how God provided for them and his watch care and his tenderness so that their clothes did not wax old and their shoes didn't wear out and all these types of things. He provided manna for his people, all these things that God did for his people. My oldest son, I mentioned my younger son earlier, my youngest, my oldest son and his family are in uh, Bangkok today. Bangkok, I think, today. And they've been gone since, oh my goodness, they've been gone for over a week now. But they're in Southeast Asia. <clears throat> and they, they first flew to Japan. This is him and his wife and two kids. They first flew to Japan where they were in Tokyo where there's a, a missionary there that used to be in their small group in their church. And so they met up with them and spent some time with them. And, and then they went to Malaysia. And from Malaysia, they went to Thailand where I believe they are now. And, uh, you know, they have kind of a downtime there. And, and, and he called, was it yesterday? Friday. And, uh, you know, so we had FaceTime. So we were able to kind of see the see them all and, and, and see the place where they were. And he walked out on kind of a little porch and said, see, the, see that, Dad? And I think he knew I'd be interested in that. And I said, yeah, I see, I see it. What is it? And he said, well, it's the, it's the ocean. I said, well, I know that. What ocean is it? You know? <laughs> and said, so oh, well, it's, it's, you know, it's the Malacca Strait or whatever it was. He said that, you know, it goes through there. And uh, then I think a couple days they fly to ba uh, Beijing and then come home from there. But, I, you know, when I pray for them on trips like this, the obvious thing is I pray for their flights to be safe. But then I think about the fact that, you know, there are all sorts of other reasons why they need God's watch care because you're not just needing God's protection and deliverance from danger in air travel, but there's all kinds of people, there's all kinds of unknowns, there's all kinds of sickness and different things that can happen. And I think about how many times is it that God gives his angels charge over us to keep us in all our ways, that they bear, our, bear us up in their hands lest at any time we dash our foot against the stones and it's unseen. We don't see them. We don't know what God has delivered us from, but God has. And so there is that thought. And then the last thing I wanted to mention is strength. That you find in verses 28 through 35. But again, let me try to show you the operative word. It's in the verse that begins this section. It's in the verse that ends this section. See if you can notice this. Uh, thy God, it says in verse 28, hath commanded thy strength. There it is. Strengthen, O God, that which thou hast wrought for us. And then in the last verse, O God, thou art terrible out of the day of thy, out of, out of thy holy places. That is, God is awesome. The God of Israel is he that giveth strength and power unto his people. Blessed be God. And how often do we find ourselves totally overwhelmed by our circumstances? totally realizing how inadequate we are for the task that we face or the situation into which we've been thrown, and we call out to God for strength. 
And I think how many times you encounter this thought in the Psalms. One of my favorite places is Psalm 62. It's just back a page. But if you want to look at this verse, the psalmist says this. And again, this is uh, a psalm uh, of David, 61, I I should say, um, in verse 2. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Can you identify with that? When my heart is overwhelmed, then look what he says. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Well, of course, if you're thinking uh, rocks are so often a a source of protection and security, particularly in the Bible, uh, and, you know, a rock can shelter you from the harsh heat and, and sunlight of the day. A rock can be a fortress when you're in a fight, in a military situation. A rock can be a fortress. So David uses this picture and he says, I need something bigger than I am. I need something more than me. I don't have it. And I realize this. And I think of, again, of Paul's way of putting it, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Boy, I don't know where I'd be today without God's strength. Do you? I know I wouldn't make it. So not only does he celebrate, though, the generosity of God's blessings, but he also celebrates God's faithfulness. And that's in our text, too. You find it in the word daily. Blessed be the Lord who daily. I like that because I don't like to go a day and miss a meal. You? You know what? used to be when I was younger, I'd decide, you know, I need to get my eating under control, and I, I really want to lose a couple, three pounds. And so you know how I'd do that? I got this from my dad. I just wouldn't eat anything for three days. I'd, I'd, I'd drink water and, and all that kind of stuff, but I really just, you know, and then I kind of got to the place where I'd cheat on that a little bit, and I wouldn't eat anything much in the morning, wouldn't eat anything at noon, but I'd have a, you know, a, a lean cuisine or something like that at night. And, you know, you see not a lot of calories in those things, but you do get some food to eat. Um, you also get about as much sodium as you do, <laughs> if you ever notice that. I don't know why they do that, but I can't do that anymore. I mean, I guess I would if I had, I guess I could if I had to. But I remember one time in Huntingdon, and we decided that we were going to have a, a time of fasting and prayer. And, boy, I got into the late part of the day, and I started feeling sick. And I got to church that night and said to people, whose brilliant idea was this anyway? We all laughed, you know, because it's just, oh, I just... So I'm thankful for the fact that God gives us our daily bread. That, that you, would you, my point is this, do you want, want to go a day without God's blessings? No. And God daily, it says, loads us with blessings. And this, folks, is actually the point that that James chapter 1, verse 17 is making when it says with, uh, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. Now, what's that all about, the Father of lights? When you look up in the sky, you see lights. God made those. So in, those sense, in that sense, he's the Father of lights. Then what does he go on to say? With whom is no variableness, change it to variation would be maybe the word we tend to use more now. With whom is no variation, neither shadow of turning. God doesn't change day in and day out. 
God is always faithful. God is so consistent. God is such a God of order that give me the place and I can tell you what time the tide is high tomorrow or low. Give me the place and I can tell you what time the moon rises and sets. Give me the place and I can tell you what time the sun rises and sets. I can tell you that for tomorrow. I can tell you that for the next day. Not me, but the scientists know how. And it's, it's, all, it, it's just like, because God, and you know what? The moon goes around the earth and doesn't change. The moon doesn't decide, yeah, you know, I think I'd like to go around Mars a time or two. And that'd be great. Do you think of the chaos that would cause on earth? But there's no variation with God. There's no shadow of turning with God. There's just consistency with God. God's always good. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. So then we come to our response. We don't need as long for this. But in the text and in the psalm, you consistently see an emphasis on how we should respond to these great things, how generous God is. His compassion, his provision, his watch care, his strength, how faithful God is in his blessings. How should we respond to that? Well, in our text, you have the word bless. So look at verse 19. Blessed, blessed be the Lord. This is a celebration. This is a, an ascription of praise to God. This is to bless the Lord. We find the word in verse number 26 again. Bless ye God in the congregations, even the Lord from the fountain of Israel. You find the word again in verse 35. O God, thou art awesome. Thou art terrible out of thy holy places. The God of Israel is he that giveth strength and power unto his people. Blessed be God. Then you see something else. You see an exhortation to sing. Look, Notice verse number 4. Psalm 68, verse 4. Sing unto God, sing praises unto his name, extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name. And if that throws you, that's just a short and firm form of Jehovah. So you're used to seeing either Yahweh or Jehovah. And so YHWH, this is just a shortened form of that. It, it, it means Jehovah. It's just a shortened form of it here, so it, that might throw you a little bit. Don't let it do that. But the idea of sing is there. You find it again in verse 32. Look down there. Sing unto God, ye kingdoms of the earth. Oh, sing unto the Lord. You know, I don't really know that I sing well, but I love to sing. I just do. I just really love to sing, and I really love to sing about what God has done. And I, I really, I just thank God for the ability to have, um, you know, I, when I was a little kid, I took piano lessons. I should have stuck with that. I really should have. That was a bad mistake. But like a lot of little kids that were told to do that, I didn't really see any particular benefit in it. And after taking it for oh, a long time, really, I finally gave it up. Then I got saved and realized, uh-oh, I messed up. I should have kept up with that piano. So I got to my freshman year in college, and I told my advisor that I wanted to take piano. I told him I had some background in it, and I told him I wanted to take piano. He said, you're nuts. He said, let me show you what the schedule you've got here, what it really means. He said, you, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you've got classes from 8 o'clock in the morning till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Do you realize if you take piano, you have to go to the, we, in those days we call them the practice shacks. You have to go to the shacks for an hour a day to practice. 
add another hour in. Where are you going to find time to do this? You don't have time to do this, Coleman. And I finally realized he was right. I just have to keep going to that little room that you pull the cord where the boot kicks you in the behind. Every so often when I realize I shouldn't have given that piano up, I shouldn't have given that piano up. But if I don't have the piano, I have all kinds of recordings. Uh, you know, it's just a blessing the day in which we live. I, I mean, you know, I might not have my daughter at home. It, Eric, when she's home, it, it's a kind of a joke. I always say, when are you going to give us a concert? That's what I call it. When she was living with us at home, it would drive her brother nuts because he was always flopped out on the couch in the living room, wanted to watch some hunting video or some sports event on the, on the computer. She'd want to come in and practice her piano. And I tried to be fair, but I was more in favor of the piano being practiced, especially since I knew my own background. So I would say, yeah, she has to practice the piano. This is where the piano is. I'm not picking the piano up and moving it into another room. Sometimes I'd go out of the room and just go back and lie in bed and listen to her play and think of those words. Oh, my, how that ministers to our hearts and brings strength and blessing to us to be able to sing praise to God and to acknowledge God for how great he truly is in everything that he's done for us. Verse 25 refers to the singers. The singers went before and played on instruments. Uh, players on instruments followed after. Among them were damsels playing with timbrels. I, you know, I, in some ways, I mean, I can wait, but it's going to be a, a joy to get to heaven, isn't it? And hear that music up there. May not all be totally what we're thinking, but I have a few requests. <laughs> you know, it's like I have other requests to, too. I, I keep thinking, you know, I couldn't there be some kind of a, like a heavenly, it sounds bad, but like a, couldn't there be something like a heavenly movie theater? Couldn't we go in there and just, I want to see, I want to see some of those scenes with Jesus on the earth. I want to see that course i guess we won't really need to go in the heavenly movie theater and see it because then we'll know even as also we're known but i want to go to a church service up there i want to hear spurgeon i want to hear whitfield i don't know maybe i won't need to but i just have this hankering and i want to hear some some of that music that's going to be up there i don't know if we'll get to hear handel's messiah up there or not but i'll tell you what i could stand the hallelujah chorus wouldn't that be a thrill? Have that go on up in heaven. Ooh, I'm telling you, it's going to be something else when we show up up there. No sense in not enjoying it here. No sense in not ascribing praise and glory to God here. We think about how much. Now, we sang a little while ago, and I want to end with this, but I'll give you a little background. I was going to use it for the closing song, but we'll use something else instead. But we sang, Count Your Blessings. And so I think, especially since it's a great idea to have this Wednesday night uh, a service where you uh, have a little chance between Sunday's message today and now to be thinking about your blessings and maybe be prepared if you get opportunity to share that or if you get opportunity to request a song, do something like that. That's a great way to have a very enjoyable time together thinking about God's goodness. But of this particular song, which was written by Johnson Oatman, you know, the old gypsy evangelist, Gypsy Smith, what he said about the song was, he said, men sing it, boys whistle it, and women rock their babies to sleep by it. 
Now, Jonathan Oatman's an interesting story, too, because his father was sort of widely regarded as having the best voice in town. And son Johnson didn't, he could sing, but he didn't have the voice his father had. And he tried a pastorate for a while, but ultimately got to the place where he realized, you know, God had given him a gift to write songs. And it was a way that he could get the message out to people. And if you realize, and we think about Fanny Crosby, but this is no mean feat. Johnson Oatman actually ended up writing some 5,000 of them. Here are some of the favorites that you know. In fact, these are two that were Johnson Oatman's favorites himself that he wrote. No, Not One was one of them, and Higher Ground was one of them. But you know what? The voting public voted differently. It all seems like to people, the favorite, the runaway favorite is Count Your Blessings, name them one by one. He wrote that song in 1897. Some things stand the test of time, don't they? 1897, and it began its journey around the world. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Well, folks, we're going to close with something else. Since we sang that earlier, what we will do is ask you to turn to page 95, and we'll just do Charlie Weigel's song. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. <laughs>